Hi, this is Mark Iskwitz from MMNM, and I'm joined by my stalwart co-host, Larry Dobra. Hey, Larry. How you doing, Mark? Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the MMNM podcast, where Larry and I interview interesting people in and around the healthcare marketing world. This week's guest is Jeffrey Erb. He's president of Helix Global, which is part of IPG Media Brands and is one of the biggest buyers of health media. And uh, we're going to dig into uh, Jeff's background a little bit, which is fascinating, and uh, also talk about trends in the health media world. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I think one of the reasons we wanted you here so much was that uh, there aren't too many people in the healthcare media or marketing worlds that not only have their own Wikipedia page, but also one that doesn't read like it was written by you. <laughs> so I guess that's that's sort of the way we wanted to come in here. Tell us a little bit about your career. Um, you, know, you work in the entertainment world as well as you know your progression to where you are today. Sure. Well, there are... They're kind of parallel and, and different worlds that I've, I've explored throughout my, my life. Uh, I would say that in the beginning of my professional career, I had um, started a, one of the very, very early web development companies. And as a result of that, um, I had, early on, I ended up developing the first online gambling software that was ever used for sports <laughs> wagering. Lots of people uh, overseas thank you for that, yeah, I suppose. And, and I'm not, a, I'm not a, a gambler or a sports wager. I couldn't even tell you how to place a bet, to be honest with you. But uh, and we sold that company to a public company, uh, my business partner and I, and then went on to develop a couple other businesses, one of which was a company called Supply Marketing. And Supply Marketing was an early point-of-care company where the very, very first concept was after kind of going through the, the uh, tech bubble in several businesses that I, that I had started and sold, uh, supply marketing, we looked at the exam table paper within a physician's office as essentially a six-foot billboard waiting to happen. And so we, we placed advertising and created a network of physicians on the exam table paper and then ultimately also on wall boards and then some televisions as well before I decided to, to sell that. In the middle of that, I had uh, been out to Los Angeles because I recognized that not only did I have a market within pharma, uh, but when my son was very, very little, probably about two years old, I made the mistake of taking him to Chuck E. Cheese, which <laughs> you tend to walk out of Chuck E. Cheese with a kid with three or four illnesses all at once and uh, from playing in those balls, which is just a terrible mistake. So going to the... Interacting with the animatronic mouse. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So uh, as a result of that, the physician said, you know, we can't give him antibiotics, he's too young, but you should give him uh, yogurt with acidophilus in it. And of course, my, my wife's first reaction was, well, what kind of yogurt has acidophilus in it? To which he replied, just about all yogurts. And... Uh, about two weeks after that, I was leaving a, a meeting at a pharma company, and I, as I was leaving, I saw Dan and Yogurt Truck drive by, and it occurred to me that there's an audience there within those offices, not just for pharma, but also for um, CPG products and whatnot as well. So we started looking at the audiences that we actually ha could capture, and we realized that we could capture mothers, um, expectant mothers, kids, just about everybody, older men, just about everybody out there except for men between the ages of roughly 19 and 40 because they just don't go to the doctor unless there's something very, very wrong. So uh, as a result of that, we started exploring companies to um, work with. And one of the companies we ended up working with early on was Disney. And so we, the idea was that I had gone out to Los Angeles and, and went to Disney and said, look, you know, you've got 
kids that are sick and you've got mothers who are dying to have something for their kids to do and you're also selling DVDs so wouldn't it make a lot of sense for you to put your characters on exam table paper inside pediatrician offices because now you're serving a, a, a function of both entertaining the kids providing a resource for the mothers and you're selling DVDs so they were one of our first um, CPG oriented companies that we started utilizing the physician exam room for while I was in, in Los Angeles, that's really kind of how the, the, the film business started. I, when you're out in Los Angeles, it's frequently, and there's certain cities where the place that you actually stay is important because you're going to meet people and there's other business opportunities. And in that particular case, I was at uh, Mondrian Hotel late at night at the Sky Bar and met some people and just started talking. And of course, everybody out there is a producer. So <laughs> um, it was just a conversation. And they had Googled me and then... I guess three or four days later, I got a phone call, and it turned out to be the partner of Ron Shusset, who wrote Alien and Minority Report and Total Recall. And uh, he asked me if I would be willing to get involved in raising money for a production company for them, at which point I said, look, I don't have any experience in raising capital for, uh, for film and, or television, but it sounds really interesting, and I'd love to do it because I love film. So that's how I ended up first getting involved. And then this is again your career as a producer. Correct. Yeah. And very shortly after that, uh, it's a very small world whenever money's on the line as it relates to film and television. So I was approached by uh, Billy Baldwin and his partner about a project that uh, Alec was in that was in a bit of duress at the time. And so I became started working with with Billy and uh, we became friends and then it just kind of snowballed. I ended up getting involved in a number of different film projects in addition to uh, building and selling my um, point of care company. And it, it's one of those things that I, I decided, well, why am I doing this for other people when I could do it for myself? So I began investing in intellectual property and screenplays in order to uh, produce films. So it's it was an exciting, it, it still is, I'm still involved in that. Um, it's not something that you really want to do for a living because it's it's a lot of, uh, well, at least I don't want to do it for a living. <laughs> but I really enjoy, I enjoy the process and I enjoy doing it. It's There's a lot. I mean, if you're working for a studio, it's one thing. Um, if you're, you know, if you've got kids in, in college and you're doing independent production as your, your way of surviving, then... Uh, and it becomes, uh, it's a bit of a rat race. So, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of fun. And I look at it as a way to, to invest in something that's more interesting than the stock market and um, get to hang out and have fun with a lot of interesting people. And um, uh, films as stocks, that's, that's a good analogy. And um, it's, it's a very interesting side hustle. Um, and we're going to talk about point of care media more a little bit, a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but, um, you know, you really struck me as I was looking at your background. You're really a, a real renaissance man. It's not something, someone that we um, really encounter that often in healthcare marketing, somebody who has experience uh, not only as a producer and a successful media exec, but also in the music uh, business as well and, and acting. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> so I uh, have been involved in music uh, as in a band since I was in my early teens. Um, a close friend and I and I had... A close friend of mine and I had started a band and uh, called Sri Lanka, which was a, a gothic rock band. And we had become rather popular, especially in the Philadelphia region and then into New York and other parts of the country. I had really long black hair and, you know, wore eyeliner and the whole, the whole thing. You, you lived the life. Lived the life. Totally lived the life. And um, throughout that period of time, I had uh, one of my very close friends who happened to be the singer of our band, 
uh, unfortunately killed himself. And so we had tried That's another terrible. singer and that it, it just wasn't really the same. And ultimately, um, the same guy that I originally started the band with, we pulled together a new band called Needle, which is an industrial band, which is like Nine Inch Nails kind of a kind of music. And we ended up getting distribution through uh, Sony via Rough House Records. And that has been um, something that's been a, a lot of fun. I still love music, but we haven't played out in a really long time, although we are working on a new album in our, in our spare time presently. So uh, that should be interesting as well. Uh, as far as acting goes, that, that's something that I... Um, that, that's the kind of thing that I got involved in. I, I took my son to a audition at a, at a modeling agency and they, they said, well, you know, we need guys your age who are dads. So I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do some stuff. So that was fun. That's not something I've pursued for real. You had another side hustle. Just a, just a fun experience that I had for a while. Okay. Right. Here's a question. Um, what did your work in the entertainment world um what, what's transferable about that to what you do at Helix? Um, are there any lessons that you take away from kind of one part of your professional life and apply to the other? Well, I think what's interesting and in, in what is emerging presently in the way that people engage and, and, and connect with their environment and brands is that it's really about understanding a, an, an overall um, storyline. So it's really about getting connected and, and, and um, bringing people along in, in an immersive way that, that allows them to connect with not just your brand, but really what your brand stands for. And from a media perspective, it's all about storytelling and it's about engaging with, with people and, and getting them involved. And I think that you know, as, we, as the industry evolves and as, as um, pharmaceutical marketing particularly evolves, what you're seeing is people really want to connect and they want to engage and they want to understand uh, what about their conditions and about the challenges that they're experiencing. And more and more frequently, you're, you're beginning to see pharmaceutical companies you know, take that step and, and begin crafting stories that, uh, from a communications perspective, that are, are more immersive from an engagement platform. Um, that's, 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 you know, uh, it all starts with data, right, in, in terms of knowing the customer. Sometimes um, marketers, we've, we've heard, kind of, tend to start with tactics instead of data, but it's really foundationally you got to understand uh, more about, you know, your audience before you start to deploy the tactics. You have a kind of a very evolved kind of philosophy on that. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way that we look at the industry is that, um, especially now, I mean, we've, the world's really different now than it was even five years ago. And so we're able to really understand the audience in ways that we couldn't before. And when we look at the communication platforms, we have to recognize the fact that you have to get past the who, what, where, when, and, and how people connect and engage and really get to why they do what they do. Because when you're looking at a typical archetype of an individual that maybe looks exactly like me, he has uh, makes a similar amount of money as me, maybe lives in my neighborhood, drives a similar car, um, has the same number of family members, and he has allergies. Well, most people are going to look at us as the same kind of individual and market to us the same way. But I may be really interested in playing video games with my kid on uh, the weekends, and I play in a band on Wednesday nights. And he may be interested in golfing on every Sunday, and uh, he goes to business functions throughout the week. And the ways that we're going to engage and connect and the things that we're going to react to and respond to are really different. And so you can't really 
in today's world expect to be able to market to us the same way and have the same kind of response just because we look the same on paper. And that to me is what is the most important part and what media really brings to the table to help inform not just the media strategy but really the, the overall archetype and way of looking at things from a creative perspective. And so when we work with our creative partners, we really try to bring those media insights to the forefront to help them really truly understand because the individuals, because you know, physicians are, are people, right? They don't wake up in the morning and, and their significant other call them Dr. Smith. Uh, it's you know John or, or Mary. And you know, they have likes and dislikes. And we can really understand a little bit more about them as people and connect with them in, in ways that they traditionally hadn't been connected with, uh, people hadn't been connecting with them in, in that way previously. So regardless of whether it's a consumer, we don't look at the consumer as a, a, a patient necessarily, but that's part of their overall uh, personality profile, but certainly isn't what, doesn't, isn't what makes them who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to look at physicians the same way and understand that, you know, in today's world, you've got really millennials who've aged into, into doctors. And I don't think people really think about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up playing video games, you know, and I'm almost 50 years old. So you've got physicians out there who've grown up playing video games, who've grown up, you know, utilizing social media. And the way that they think and connect and engage with their environment is really different and has evolved significantly past traditional means of, of professional marketing. Sure, sure. And when you follow the data um, and what the data dictate about um, what the media habits are of those clinicians who are really consumers at the end of the day, it kind of leads you to some interesting places, right, you've, you've found. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, as an example, one of the things that we've done, uh, we have within uh, Helix Global and part of IPG Media Brands, we have, we have a tool that we utilize called DNA, which is powered by another tool called AMP. And as part of that, uh, I think most people are aware by now that we, as IPG Media Brands, recently acquired Axiom. But even prior to our, our acquisition of Axiom, we utilized Axiom data and other data to bring into this AMP platform that really allows us to understand what people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how they engage and interact with media. But we all, we've also connected and layered onto that proprietary research and data to understand how people not just connect and engage with media, but how they specifically connect and engage with healthcare media, whether it's a physician or a consumer. Because the way that somebody's going to think about and connect or react to um, media specific to a therapeutic category is going to be really different from the way they engage and interact with media relating to soft drinks or, or shoes. So... From that perspective, one of the things that we've done, as an example, is we were kind of curious to see, you know, we understand a physician audience and we've got, I would say, you know, 80% of the physicians inside our, our database as consumers in addition to physicians. And we, we looked at, we did an analysis just to, from a curiosity perspective, this wasn't for a specific client, just to see, you know, what are physicians watching on television when they're, when they're not being physicians? And, and we got some really interesting feedback. And I, I usually, I've asked this question uh, a number of times as to what do you think one of the top five TV shows is that physicians watch. Uh, and only one person has ever answered it correctly. Unfortunately, we already know the answer to this, but please, <laughs> please reveal it for the said, audience. You would have said something like Grey's Anatomy or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Well, I've had everything that people have kind of thrown out there. But um, it was interesting because three and five were... Um, dance shows, so you think you could dance in Dancing with the Stars, whereas, you know, one, two, and four were 
uh, ethnic programming, like Asian and Indian programming via satellites, so cricket matches and, and other Asian and Indian programming. And that's the kind of insight that, that you bring forward into the creative process because I think that people don't necessarily, the first thing anybody thinks of when they're putting together a piece of creative to reach out to a physician is, you know, an old white guy in a lab coat and, you know, the 1950s view of who a physician is. When, you know, this evidence demonstrates that, that you know, we've got a very significantly high propensity of Asian and, and Indian physicians in the United States that probably far exceed the old white guy in a lab coat. And maybe we should really think about, even in the most simplistic level, connecting with them by changing the, the imagery inside the creative. But, you know, we, we can take that a lot further than that. But that's just one example of how mm -hmm. we, you know, the kinds of insights that really might impact the way you really look at your audience. Sure. This is a very random question, but what were some of the answers that you've received when you've asked other people that question? What you think the most view? What are some of the most out there uh, responses that were given seriously? Well, I, frequently, to your point, I think a lot of people, the very first thing that comes to their mind is a, is a medical show. And I can't imagine any physician wants to go home and watch a medical show. Much less a medical show that doesn't exactly depict their lives as exactly. it's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Exactly. But I've had everything. I mean, you name the TV show, I've had somebody kind of throw it out there. It's, it's a fun question, Game of Thrones, whatever it might be. I mean, it's a fun question, and it gets people thinking. And, and usually they're, they're surprised by a lot of the answers. I mean, we've been surprised by answers that we've pulled forward out of our data when it comes to even from a media allocation perspective and where we should invest dollars based upon. And that's why I think, you know, people tend to bring to the overall strategic process their own bias based upon their own personal experience. And when you really look at the data, you uncover insights that, you know, you may not have even thought of because it's, you know, you don't, under, you've got a very, very small window as to, you know, your overall exposure to the rest of the world. Or your database is siloed. Or, or your database or is siloed, yeah. Some, some tactic or methodology. Um, we've seen the, you know, the, obviously the pharma advertising world is, is changing. You know, we're seeing a ton of DTC uh, being used uh, in the service uh, of some um, therapeutic areas uh, that um, uh, traditionally haven't, uh, been appropriately used for that therapeutic area, I'm speaking of oncology specifically, and we might see more um, of, of that going forward. Um, obviously also, you know, uh, we could talk about the impact of programmatic on the media planning world. Uh, that, that seems to be, um, you know, uh, something that would uh, perhaps be uh, uh, to a, to a layperson uh, might might seem to be uh, in in conflict uh, with with the traditional skill set of a media planner. Um, you know, how do you uh, how does a media planner sort of, for lack of a better word, justify their existence in a programmatic world? Well, programmatic is just a tool in, in the toolbox. It, it's not you know all all the programmatic really is is essentially bidding on display advertising and in some cases now television. So I think that. You know, people's perception of what programmatic really is uh, and, and what it means in, in pharma, to some degree, is a bit overinflated. It, it's very valuable in the process, but it certainly isn't the be-all and end-all of the way that you're going to think about and connect and, and utilize media. It's just, it's just one of the, the ways of um, getting a better price, basically, <laughs> <laughs> within the, the overall uh, marketplace. You know, you're, you're still looking at the best ways to connect and, and engage with people, and, and programmatic is only one of one of the elements in there. It's an important one and a very valuable one, uh, but it certainly doesn't replace the overall media planning process because media planning is really about understanding the audience and making sure that you're 
uh, connecting with the audience and you're guiding an audience from one media point to another. I think that's, that's another element where, um, you know, I think that there's a belief that one tactic has a certain amount of ROI. And truthfully, my perspective on that is that it contributes, uh, but there, nobody makes a decision based upon one exposure to a particular media platform. Um, it's a, it's a part of the overall planning process and, and, uh, programmatic is exactly that from my perspective. Sure. Sure. Um, you mentioned in one of your previous answers that the you know this world has changed so much over the last five years or so. Um, I have to think programmatic is one of those changes, but what what are some of the others? What were some of the new opportunities that have been fueled by some of those changes? So I think it really comes down to the there, there's so many different things that are happening, and it's not really about the. I would say that it's not about the tactic as much as it is about the way that people are engaging with their world, right? So I think that's what's really, really different. And that's what allows the tactics to evolve and the way that you're gonna connect you know, media point A to media point B to media point C to a physician conversation with a, um, a consumer. And so when I look at what those tactics are, there's a lot of new and interesting things that, that evolve, but I mean, those are based upon from a media perspective, what people are doing and what they're engaging in, you know, whether it's Twitter, I think we're on Twitter now, right? Or whether it's uh, Instagram or, you know, those are, those are some base points, but then you've got really interesting things that, that people are doing from a, a video perspective and, and interactive video. You've got, um, you know, addressable television uh, in the more traditional uh, areas of, of media. There's a lot of, as technology evolves, those are, we look for those media points to understand how are people connecting and engaging with their environment and where can we leverage that. You know, you've got, I think, point of care as an example is an area that's really, really dramatically changing. You know, you've got the physician office uh, and there's so many different touch points in the physician office, but then there's also new and interesting areas that people are, are beginning to explore. I think we're probably the first company who's doing something from a media perspective within telemedicine as an example. And, and you know, truthfully, telemedicine is a point of care. So, you know, that's where people are engaging with a physician. So when you look at the interesting things, I think it's reflective of the way that people are actually, or the, the media environment that people are using on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, using telehealth or telemedicine as a, as a channel for media buys, that sounds very innovative. And we look forward to hearing some, uh, some, some news or more news around that. I'm excited about that, personally. Yeah. I think it's, cool. it's really, really exciting that we've, we've got you know, clients who are really willing to explore new opportunities. And I think that's reflective of the industry, generally speaking. You know, going five years ago, I think that to, to that same point, you know, the people who are, who are decision makers are now um, different people. They're, they're younger. They're, they're more used to technology. They're more used to new innovations. And, and so people are much more interested in, in uh, out-of-the-box thinking. And that's one of the things that, you know, we pride ourselves on. You know, you might have just answered this next question, but... Um... The, these changes, you know, healthcare has traditionally had a reputation of being a little bit further behind some other verticals. Um, has the industry as a whole embraced this? Has the industry as a whole kind of done its usual, like, well, let somebody else figure it out first? How do you how do you think it's responded? I think that to your point, uh, I've been in the, this industry for a really long time, and and it has been very slow to move. What we're seeing now is that people are really interested in in you know 
first to market opportunities? What can I do that nobody's done before? What can I do that you know, my competition hasn't done in the past? And when you look at those opportunities, uh, or and when you've got that kind of thinking and that drive and that, that, that willingness to experiment, um, that's what I think right now is a really exciting time for the industry. Um, you, you, just to switch gears for a second, you mentioned point of care. You started a media buyer consortium in the, in the point of care sector. Can you talk about that a little bit? So, the the, um, the buyers group is I, I can't I can't take credit for starting it, so to speak. But it's a group of people who have come together on the uh, from the the media side of the world to really share our experiences and share our notes and, and really kind of get involved to understand what are things that we as a an or, as a as an industry need to look at as it relates to um, point of care because truthfully there there had been um, the point the POC3 as an example is, is a group that had come together with very very good intentions to create their own kind of self-regulation so to speak among a lot of other things uh, for their industry but there was very little representation from the clients, which at the end of the day, the clients and the media uh, companies are really the ones that, that are impacted and should have a voice. So we originally brought this together and, and um, as a result of that, and, and it, is a, it is a group of people that, that is very representative with regards to the way we think as a, as a team, um, you know, the POC3 has also expanded and in, in recognizing that when we pulled this together, you know, that was something that's been missing is the voice of the actual people who are buying their services. So we've, they, they had invited me to become, become part of the POC3 Advisory Council, as well as um, I think we're the first media company, media buying company, I should say, to join the POC3. So we're, we're part of that as well. And I think that's really helping to um, overcome some of the challenges or, or risks that, that people have perceived within the point of care space recently. Great, great. Should we start the, uh, the, the lightning round? Larry? Yes, yes. Um, you know, we have a little bit here. We ask three questions at the end of each of our podcasts. The third question is submitted by the previous week's guest. So we will give you an opportunity okay. to uh, throw a curveball at the uh, next, uh, next victim, I guess, is probably the way to put it. Um, the first one, in your mind, who are some of the smartest people in healthcare media today? That is a really tough question. <laughs> Um, I think the entire industry, and I'm, I'm going to take the, the easy road on that one. I think the, the entire industry is filled with really smart people. And the people that are in the healthcare media industry or the people that you're seeing um, make transitions in order to help make changes. Um, every one of the, the media agencies, I think, is, is really, really strong. Um, people that are that are thinking thinkers behind it because they've come from different areas and different perspectives. Um, I think that the the clients themselves, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, you see tremendously um, innovative and, and interesting people who are uh, really kind of taking risks and 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 putting bets in, in places that they hadn't done before. So I think the the entire industry's really got a lot of very smart people in it. Um, the second question is uh, very much a personal one. Um, Mark basically had to taser me, and pr- make, so I would promise not to bring a guitar in today, knowing what your background is. Who should we be listening to right now? What's the uh, most interesting stuff that's come across your uh, 
uh, Spotify or anywhere you're listening? That's a, that's a that's an interesting question. So I I um, tend to listen to things that most other people probably wouldn't. <laughs> so most of the bands that I listen to, people probably um, don't even know, with the exception of like a, a Nine Inch Nails as an example. Um, that being, and I've also gotten very interested in. Um, uh, I, I'm also interested in addition to kind of industrial dance music. I'm also interested in more. Um, We'll call it world music. So I've been really, really interested in a band called Wardrina right now, which is a, if you actually look them up, it'll say that it's it's Icelandic death metal, and that is not what they are. <laughs> but I think anything coming out of Iceland, generally speaking, they automatically put in the black death metal uh, category. Okay. And it, it's it's actually... Um, there, it's it's traditional Viking music. So it's hmm. if you hear any of the the music that's on the show Vikings, um, I think some of it has come from Wardruna, not all of it. But there, it's a really really cool and different band. It's not your typical uh, rock or, or dance music, but it's it's pretty neat. We'll have to check that out on Spotify. Yes, it's very cool. Okay, um, our final question for you um, comes from Becky Chittister, who was our guest on the first MMNM podcast last week. Um, subscribe, listen um, wherever you get your uh, podcast stuff. Um, her question was, with the Super Bowl on Sunday, will healthcare and pharma be represented, and should it be? Um, I would assume that it will be. I, I don't, I, I'm not really sure who's advertising on, in, at the Super Bowl. I think, I'm not sure if we have advertisers in there or not. We may. Um, and whether it should be, I, I would think absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a situation, there's a lot of different kinds of... Um, ailments that people have and, and it's it's you know people need to become aware i think i think you know pharmaceutical advertising is important because it raises awareness of not just drugs but conditions and it definitely should be part of the overall advertising mix as it relates to uh to you know one of the most widely watched programs in at least in the u.s sure sure so you're predicting that health care slash pharma will have a bigger presence in the Super Bowl than last year, which I think was just um, Mr. Mucinex. <laughs> I, I believe it'll probably have more than, than one ad. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I would hope so. I don't see why it shouldn't. You know, it's, it's expensive, so that might be one of the reasons why you know people don't want to spend a whole lot of money just on one advertising slot, but um, it is certainly a way to, to generate awareness. I mean, you know, it depends upon what it is that, that, uh, that you're trying to do, and, and that's one of the things when you look at from a media perspective, you when you're trying to generate wide awareness, then you with a, with a brand that you have that that needs kind of wide exposure, and there's a lot of people who might suffer from that condition, then that's an appropriate you know vehicle. When you're looking at a more uh, a drug or a brand a drug brand that may be more focused and have a smaller number of people that it treats, then it certainly is not appropriate because you're not you're wasting money i mean it really comes down to what your overall objective is as it relates to um how you're you know the, the number of people that you're trying to reach and and whether they're whether there's an opportunity for them to actually utilize the the drug in a way that, that sure. benefits them and as we see the, the industry moving more towards specialty and, and even rare disease products the super bowl you could one could see would become less and less of a um uh, a vehicle for for reaching them yeah, I, I would agree. Absolutely. Plus, I mean, you can't have as much fun with Super Bowl ads. I mean, with uh, pharmaceutical ads as you can with other Super Bowl ads. So, you know, I don't think people look forward to seeing <laughs> pharma ads inside the Super Bowl. Right. Um, well, that hasn't held back manufacturers necessarily in the past. but No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but uh, we'll see what happens. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been a really wonderful and wide-ranging discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for your time here today. No, I appreciate you having me. This has been wonderful. Of course. And uh, so I uh, want to thank everybody out there for, for joining us. Uh, please, as, as Larry mentioned, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or wherever you get your uh, podcasts from, uh, and stay tuned uh, for more great content from MMM. Uh, next week, we'll be doing our data uh, issue content of three features from our data issue. Um, and uh, that's obviously a, a big um, issue right now with, with health data privacy and the lack of interoperability in the news. and, and uh, uh, health data breaches kind of popping up left and right. And so um, uh, keep a lookout for that. Uh, we also have uh, an event coming up on February 6th called the Age Evolution of the uh, Healthcare Agency. Uh, that's uh, here in New York City. And so um, you can uh, see myself there uh, and some, meet some other members of the MMM team. Um, and uh, that's about it for today. We're going to wrap things up. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks to our, our guest, again, Jeffrey Erb. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.